chapter 12, verse 1 starts, therefore we also. The therefore in the text means that you'll never grasp the power of Hebrews 12 without going back to Hebrews 11. Therefore is a word that's letting you know I'm about to build on the points that were previously made. When we go back to Hebrews 11, we find that the writer is revealing what faith is and what faith does. Say it with me. What faith is and what faith does. He starts by telling us what it is. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Next, the writer will reveal that faith in God is a thread or a cord that runs all the way through Scripture. It's not many cords of faith or threads of faith. No, it is one cord of faith. In essence, the writer's letting them know God threw out a cord from heaven to earth, a power system, a connectivity system, a cord called faith that people in the earth could lay hold of the cord and have access to heaven's power and heaven's ability. And so he starts bringing up people and mentions them and how they face challenging situations and shows how faith was the singular common denominator that brought them through. Look at verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The writer brings up the mysterious case of Enoch's translation. Enoch never died. He's one of only two people in the scripture to never die, to walk the earth, be born, but never die. Trivia, you know who the next one is? You got it, mama. He was just walking with God one day. Enoch was just walking with God one day. And all of a sudden, while he was walking, he was changed. He went from the earth into heaven. He was changed while he was walking. And the writer brings up this case to encourage us to keep walking by faith until you are not what you were when you started walking. Oh, I'm going to say that again. Keep walking by faith until there's a change. Keep walking by faith until you no longer are what you were when you started walking with God. 
that's what happened to Abraham. He didn't get translated, but he did get changed. He started out walking with God as Abram, but he ended up as Abraham. There was a change that happened while he was walking. And if you will keep walking with God by faith, there will be a change that happens in your life while you are walking. Then he says, verse 7, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear and prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah is mentioned to encourage us to keep building. Enoch said, keep walking. Noah said, keep building. That you can build something that will save your entire household if you have the faith to keep building. They mocked Noah while he was building. They laughed at him while he was building. They told him what he was doing wasn't going to make a difference. And what he was doing didn't make any sense. But he kept building anyway. You can build something to preserve your house against trouble and against storms and against floods. You can do something to preserve your family's legacy in the earth if you will keep building by faith. Look at somebody say, keep building. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham is mentioned to encourage all of us who are looking for a life that we know exists, but we just can't see it yet. Abraham tells you, keep on looking. To all the people that are looking for a marriage that you know exists, but every time you go home, you just can't see it yet. Abraham said, keep on looking. For all the people with the gnawing, nagging feeling that there is more to your life than what you are seeing right now, Abraham is there to say, keep on looking. Abraham was walking. He didn't know where he was going. People would ask you, where are you going? And he said, I'll know it when I see it. I'm not discouraged because I don't have it yet because I feel something down on the inside that lets me know that what I'm seeing now is not the end result of what God is going to bring me into. So I have enough faith in God to keep walking even though I don't know where I'm going. What your life looks like right now is not going to be the end result. If you will keep walking by faith with God and keep looking, God will lead you to the place that you were designed to be. And for some of you, the reason you have been so frustrated is destiny is like a magnet pulling the metal on the inside of you. Some of you feel this wooing and this drawing and you don't even know how to explain it. Let me tell you what that is. It's destiny that is calling you to keep on looking. You hadn't found it yet. Keep on striving. You haven't found it yet. Keep on searching. It is out there. And Abraham said you will find it if you keep walking with God by faith. Verse 11, by faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and bore a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Sarah is there to tell us that it doesn't matter how old you are, that when it comes to God, faith makes age 
obsolete. Faith makes age a non-issue. The enemy's been sidling up to some of you and told you that you missed your chances and you missed your opportunities and you're too old now and you can't do it now. But Sarah, with her 90-year-old pregnant self, is whispering to you through Hebrews 11 saying you can still start that business. You can still launch out into that dream. You can still be debt-free. You can still make that opportunity. You can still make it happen if you have faith in God. Push somebody, encourage them, say, it's not too late. Then he said, then he said, verse 12, talking about Abraham, therefore from one man and him as good as dead. God, God blessed Abraham with the greatest blessing he had ever received when he was as good as dead. Now, I don't know how bad you have it here this morning, but I don't see any of you that look as good as dead. Sometimes God waits until you can't get it any other way than a miracle. Oh, give me a minute. It'll be good. I promise you. I said sometimes God waits till there's no other availability, no other opportunity. You are as good as dead. And then he comes in with the blessing that absolutely changes your entire life. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, we're born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Verse 13, all these died in faith, not having received the promises. What were the promises he was talking about? Well, he's talking about the Old Testament saints who had faith in God. He said they all died, and they had a great testimony. They had, they had great power. But they didn't have the promises. What were the two promises? The promise of the Messiah, Jesus, and the promise of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which you and I both possess today. These all died in faith, not having the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out of, they would have had the opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. I love this part. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, we're in Hebrews 11. And remember... He's writing all of this in Hebrews 11 to set up his case for chapter 12. He's showing that God threw out a cord called faith from heaven to earth. This cord is called faith in God. In short, I believe God. Somebody say that with me. I believe God. Say it again with me. I believe God. God. And every one of these people we just mentioned, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, all of the rest of the people in Hebrews 11, they picked up the same cord of faith. I got a ring in this mic that's starting to hurt my ears. He's trying to get across the idea that it's the same faith and he's the same God. In other words, look at what faith did for them. It's not a new faith. He's not a new God. 
He's an ancient God who threw out an ancient cord that you can still pick up today. And what faith in God has done in the past, faith in God will do in the future for anybody that picks up the cord because he's the same God, it's the same faith, and it's the same cord. Say it with me. Same God. Same faith. Same cord. Verse 35 of Hebrews, well, verse 30 of Hebrews 11. He says, by faith... The walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of aliens, and women received their dead raised to life. Now... He's summarizing what faith does. In other words, he's summarizing all that's in the cord. In other words, faith still does today in the cord. Everything it ever did for anybody who picked up the cord. Because it's not a new faith, it's an old one. He's not a new God, he's an ancient one. It's not a new, it's the same chord. Push somebody and say, same chord. When he summarizes, he lists six things that faith does for anybody that'll grab the cord. Look at your neighbor and say, grab the cord. Six things faith does, I feel like preaching, for anybody that will grab the cord. Number one, you can subdue kingdoms. Kingdoms and systems that are bigger than you can be dominated by you if you will grab the cord of faith. James didn't have $6,000 a month to pay for that medication that he needed, but God allowed him to subdue the kingdom of the medical system who has authority and dominion in its own right. He subdued that kingdom through his faith, and now he's getting $6,000 worth of medication a month absolutely free. How does that happen? It happened because he had the faith to pick up up the cord. Go fix this mic. Say, pick up the cord. Number two, worked righteousness. The only way to achieve righteousness is to stand in faith. Push your neighbor, say, pick up the cord. Obtained promises, number three. Number four, I love this one. Stop the mouths. See, we have a weak Christianity today. We don't talk about all these things that faith will do. But I don't care what you're thinking or what you're not believing or what you're doubting. The same God that stopped the mouths of the lions for Daniel, that's the same God you're lifting your hand up to. The same God who made those hungry lions shut their mouth is the same God you're praying to. That's the same God, the same faith, and the same cord.
And many of us have had them, him do that for us. Have you ever had him stop the mouths of lions? I have. I have had my God stop the mouth of lions. Not, not lions in the jungle. Lions in the neonatal ICU that set me down with a piece of paper and a pen and said, I want you to sign this release that allows us to have permission to not give your son medical attention. That lion said these words. He's not viable. He's not viable. So basically, we don't want to waste our time and our efforts and our resources because if he does live, he's going to be a vegetable. I guarantee you, Mr. Sides, it would be more humane. It would be more kind. It would be more merciful to just let him die and not have us work on it. That lion sat down there and looked across the table from me, handed me a pen, wanting me to sign the rights of them treating my boy with life-saving opportunities because of his lack of viability. But my faith in God... Shut the mouth of that lion. Have you ever had him shut a lion's mouth for you? I was reading a little bit about lions. Lions move in prides. It's a hierarchical system. And there's one dominant lion that's the most dominant. Now, when lions approach a, uh, so, some prey, they approach the prey with their mouth open. But there's this interesting fact. If a more dominant lion is in the area, as they're approaching that prey, all those lesser lions, they have their mouths open. If there's a dominant one there and he roars, the lesser lions will shut their mouth. And I just wonder if there's anybody in the room that's ever had the lion of the tribe of Judah the most dominant, the greatest, most high, the king of kings, the lord of lords, when the enemy surrounded you and the lions of trouble opened their mouth to devour you, the great lion roared and they had to shut their mouths. Throw your hands up to heaven and say, shut their mouth. In fact, if you're being threatened with something right now, look up to God and say, shut their mouth. Verse 34, faith quenched the fire, the violence of fire. Have you ever had to walk through a fiery trial that it shocked you that you made it out of? Is there any people in here that believe God? Have you ever walked through something that should have burnt you up, but somehow you made it through the thing? How did you make it through? You grabbed the cord of faith. Verse 35, women received their dead raised to life again. This is beautiful. He's talking about Old Testament things. You know what he's saying? Resurrection wasn't a new idea that started with Jesus. Resurrection started in the Old Testament. He carried it through to the New Testament. But there was resurrection power in the Old Testament. Why? Because he's the same God. It's the same faith. It's the same cord. 
push somebody say grab the cord in fact I need about 15 people to just grab the cord just grab just grab the cord just 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 grab the cord just just grab the cord just grab the cord all right so so look look at what he said he said God threw it out from heaven and then we started with Abel we started with Enoch we got Noah we got Abraham and Sarah, we got Jephthah, we got David, we got Samuel, we got Deborah, we got all of the prophets. We go all the way down, verse 12, now we also. In other words, the same cord they were holding on to in the Old Testament to produce all of that power is the same cord that God has extended to you and you have an opportunity to pick up the same Give God a praise. Thank you, everybody. Same court. Hebrews 12.1. In fact, everybody that grabbed the cord, go back and get it. This is Noah and David and Samson and, and Gideon and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all the tribes of it. That's all of them right here. Look what he's saying, not only did the court of faith do these great things for them, but now everybody that's ever laid their hand on that cord, they're watching you. Why are they watching you? Because everybody that ever comes to faith has to lay hold of the same cord. And they may be in heaven, but they still got their hand. If you've ever lost a loved one that was in the faith and you're deep in the faith too, sometimes you can feel them near you when you're praying and when you're worshiping. Why? Because you're holding on to the cord on earth, but they're still holding on to the cord in heaven because it is the same. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, in other words, what you're holding today is still being held by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And not only is it still being held, in a way you're connected to them because you're holding on to the same thing they're holding on to. And he said it's so deep and it's so, some people getting blessed in the, in the crowd right now just holding the cord. It, it's so powerful that they, they surround us. That word in the Greek is actually they're connected to us. They still got their hand on the cord. Thank you, everybody. They still got their hand. Ask your neighbor, is your hand on the cord? All the saints of old still got their hand on the cord. Women that did their laundry in a creek because they didn't have running water got their hand on the cord. Men who fed their families with only what they could grow out of the ground are watching you because they still got their hand on the cord. 
your grandparents and your great-grandparents, if they were in the faith, they're watching you with your iPhone. And your washing machine, microwave. And your car and all your technology walking around talking about, I don't know how I'm going to make it. What would your great-grandmother say? What would your great-grandfather say if he saw you complaining the way you complained? What would they think if they saw what you consider to be your burdens? I have a little consulting business on the side. Sometimes I'll go into places and I'll, I'll do some consulting for them. And I, somebody offered me a consulting uh, gig and uh, I, I was talking to Katie about whether or not I was going to do it because it was four hours away. And I thought, man, if I drive four hours, do it, and then drive back, that's eight hours on the road. My back hurts when I ride in the car for long distances. I don't think I want to. And before I finish the sentence, I don't think I want to do it. I thought about both sides, my grandpa. And I told Katie, both sides would slap me upside the head if he heard me turn down a job because my back would hurt a little bit from driving four hours to and fro. Sometimes it changes your perspective when you know somebody's watching. Sometimes it changes your complaining when you know somebody's listening. And the writer here says all of the great people of faith that have ever picked up the cord, they are watching you. They're watching you hold what they use to make it through the storms of their life. They're watching you hold what they use to survive the turbulence of their day. And they're watching you. The Lord revealed to me that there is an epidemic of weariness in the church. The biblical definition of weary means to faint in your mind. There are so many people in this room that have fainted in their minds. They've been through such a struggle on the inside that their mind is exhausted. And they're walking around on the outside and they're moving. But in their minds, their creativity has dissipated. Their resolve and strength, their love for their spouse and their children, their bubbling, overflowing love and affection, it is all dried up and died. Why? Because they are weary in their mind. Psalms 27, 13, and 14 in the King James Version, please. Psalms 27, 13, and 14. David talked about weariness. He went through it. Whether you want to call it anxiety, depression, or any other mental malady, weariness in the mind, fainting in the mind. David said, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Look what David said. I was about to faint, but I grabbed the cord. That's what the cord is. It's faith. It's believing. I was about to faint, but I grabbed the cord. And if you are about to faint in this place this morning, in your mind, 
if you've given up on the inside and you're about to lose it, grab the same cord David grabbed. Do you know it was the same cord that David grabbed when he killed Goliath as it was when he accepted the anointing to be king, as it was when he began to take great dominion? It was the same cord. And David stretched that cord out to you and said, you can grab the same cord of faith if you are fainting and God will pick you right back up and restore your soul and give it back to you on the inside if you will grab the cord look at somebody and say grab the cord he says let us or verse one again therefore we also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now look at that again. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin. Let's draw a line of distinction between weight and sin. Procrastination's not a sin. But it could be a weight. Being timid on the inside and refusing to confront issues, that's not a sin but it could be a weight. You understand what I'm saying? Refusing to be a good steward over your finances, that's not a sin, but it could be a weight. Are you blaming God for the way things have turned out in your life? Are you feeling sorry for yourself about the level of weariness that you feel in your mind that's causing you to faint when the real problem is you haven't laid aside the necessary weights in order to run this race. If you want to get freed up in your mind, lay off some weights. Go through your life and find out what are the things, identify what are the things that's weighing me down and then do everything you can to lay those aside. Why? Because living the Christian life and running the race in faith is hard enough. If you're all weighted down by the cares of life, you're going to faint in your mind. He said, I want you to lay aside every weight that's causing you to not be able to run your race with effectiveness. And then he said, and the sin, which so easily ensnares you. Two things we've got to lay aside. We've got to lay aside the weight. And then we got to lay aside. He didn't say, lay aside the weight and sin. Because church folks will tell you, you got you, you to be perfect, you know. Never do anything wrong. You got to live like Jesus Jr. in the earth. Not going to happen. No, all he told you to lay aside was the sin. See, every one of us have a the sin. The most prominent one for you. The one you fall prey to the most. And if you don't know what that sin is, you're delirious. It may be pride because you're too proud to see your own weakness. So if you don't know what your 
prominent sin is, then just start asking the Lord to forgive you for pride and, start, and humble you and start working on that. Every one of our lives is marked with a dominant sin. It's different for everybody. But he challenges you, particularly those of you that are fainting in your mind because it's been so difficult. Life's been so rough. He challenged you, lay aside the weight, and then that main weakness you keep failing at, that main thing you keep stumbling at, he said, I want you to lay aside that. That you'll be better on the inside. Look at what it does. If you lay aside the, the weight and the sin, it will allow you to run with endurance the race that is set before you. And some of you are running all weighted down with the weight and the sin. And it's so difficult for you to move forward in your life because you have all of life's attacks that come. That's just normal. It's native to living. You're going to have cares and struggles and difficulties. But if you add on to that the fact that you're a Christian and you got a devil to fight, sometimes the attacks of life and the attacks of the enemy make you feel so overwhelmed and you add to it that you haven't dealt with personal issues, laying aside the weights and the sin, and no wonder you're about to faint in your mind. It says, lay aside the weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In other words, God would not have started it with you if he did not intend to finish it with you. He's, he's on this side of the cord. God threw it out to heaven. You've got your hand on it on earth. On the other side of that cord is Jesus himself. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Next verse. Consider him. Now there's a, there's a, a hidden medication for your soul in that verse. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. In other words, those of you that are battling depression, weariness, fainting in your mind, discouraged in your soul, the more you consider Jesus, the more considering him restores you on the inside. That's why you ought to worship every day. You ought to pray in the name of Jesus every day. You ought to be in church every time the doors are open because considering him will keep the wolves away. Considering him will keep the dark days away. Considering him will keep the suicidal thoughts away. Considering him will keep the thoughts of quitting on your family and quitting on your marriage away. Considering him will heal the fainting of the soul. Stand with me and give the Lord a praise in the house today.